I'm going to talk about one of my favorite subjects this morning, the baptism in the Holy Spirit. I love this subject because I had a profound experience with the Holy Spirit minutes after my conversion. It's never left me. Um, I've been baptized and filled afresh many times in the Spirit. I understand its power for living. It's power for walking out what God has for each and every one of us. I'm convinced we need more of the Spirit. We need more of the Spirit in our churches, our marriages, our relationships, our friends. We need the work and the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, last week we laid a strong foundation on the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. And one of the things I wanted to kind of cement in our minds is the Holy Spirit isn't like some... Uh, addition to God. The Holy Spirit is God. It's the third person of the Trinity. And even though we can't understand the Trinity fully, we fully understand there are three parts to God, though he is one in essence. And there are distinct works of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in John 14 and 16, the Holy Spirit comes alongside. He comforts. He doesn't leave us orphans. He will be upon you. He will be in you. He will bring my truth to light. When we read scriptures, it's the Holy Spirit illuminating the things of God to us. Here's what I know. He's available. He comes alongside. For those who want to walk deeply with God and affect our world, you need the power of the Holy Spirit. Strong point I'm going to make in all three weeks is the Spirit is not a power or a force. Now, the Holy Spirit brings great power. But it's not a force we wield. It's not a power. Sometimes you see that in charismania, right? Now, I love the charismatic church. I'm charismatic. Charismatic Church has done great things. When I travel, and I've been to 15 countries, usually the largest church in every city is a Pentecostal or Charismatic Church because the moving of the Spirit is important to people and around the world, they're open to that. But somehow, sometimes in Charismatic circles, uh, there is a very low emphasis on Bible teaching or ever going through a book of the Bible. And we shared last week, that shouldn't be true. Uh, God's house is in a condominium, right? It's not like the Holy Spirit is on the second level and then Bible evangelicals are on the first level, right? We want to be word and power people. We want to be word and power churches. Paul said there is one Spirit, one Lord, one baptism. The same Holy Spirit that produces the gifts illuminates the Word of God. And so we want those things to come together. But I want to start with this question. Have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Not baptized in water. Have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? Now this isn't a head scratcher. This is like a yes or no. Now there is some confusion because of terminology and uh, some of the distortions on this term. But it's kind of like back surgery. Pastor Bob, you ever had back surgery? Uh, let me think about that. No, I've either had it or I haven't had it, right? So again, have you been baptized in the Spirit? The term comes right out of the Bible. We're going to look at it in a few minutes in John and the book of Acts. The question comes right out of the Bible. But again, terminology gets a little squirrely, right? It's like the word born again. I highly doubt any of you, if someone said, what do you believe or what's your religion? You'd say, hey, I'm a born again Christian. And the reason you wouldn't say it, it's been misused and overused in our culture. So you'd say, oh, I'm a Christ follower. I'm a Christian. You know, one of these terms. But Jesus said to Nicodemus, the teacher in Israel, like the Pope of that day, unless a man be born again, he'll never see the kingdom of God. And the term is wonderful, right? You know, you have to be born again. 
Everybody in here has a birthday. Everybody that lived has a birthday, right? You know the day you were born. Jesus said, what is born of flesh is flesh. You must be born of the Spirit. So if I asked you today, what's your spiritual birthday? Everybody should know. Uh, Maybe not the day, but around the time. You have to know a time where Jesus came in your life. The Bible says you went from death to life. I mean, for me, the sky was bluer, the grass was greener. The, The words in the Bible, the font was like the size of this pulpit. I went from death to being alive. How can I not know that day? I know the day I made the varsity basketball team. It was a great day. I know the day I fell in love, the day my children were born. We should know when we were born again. Now, I fully understand I'm a convert. (laughs) We're all converts, right? But I understand there are those who are raised Christians. And they'll say, oh my gosh, I was always raised in this. You know, maybe four, five, six years old. I get that, okay? So I don't want to confuse anybody that, you know, there has to be a, a day of demarcation. But I love Billy Graham son's Franklin's story. Uh, Franklin was actually working in his father's ministry and by his own acknowledgement wasn't a believer. And finally Billy came to him and said, Franklin, you can't work in the ministry if you're not a Christian, even though you're my son. I love you. And uh, someone in the Billy Graham Association took Franklin under his wing and uh, one day he knelt beside his bed and he confessed Jesus as Lord and Savior. You know what the scripture that led him to salvation was? What I just quoted, John 3, unless a man be born again. He had heard his dad preach on that verse hundreds of times. You know why it meant so much to him? Because he was Billy Graham's son. He was born of a very powerful man, and God made it clear to him he had to be born again. So I challenge you, have you been born again? If you've been born again, have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? Again, the terminology comes right out of the Bible. In John chapter 1, We have this grand opening, one of the great words ever written on a page. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, and he dwelt among us. Jesus was God. And we're introduced to this man named John the Baptist. Uh, John, the apostle, writes more about John the Baptist than anyone. His name is a clear indication of what he does, right? He's John the Baptist. He's not John the plumber school teacher, basketball player, he's John the Baptist, which is really strange. When I became a believer, I couldn't figure the Bible out. You know, in my neighborhood, outside of a Catholic church, there was a synagogue. And then I opened the Old Testament thinking, oh my gosh, there'll be all these synagogues, and there's none. And then I come to the New Testament, and I read about synagogues. Strange. And then I read here about baptism, about Jews getting baptized, which I thought was a Christian thing, which it is. But John is baptizing people in Israel. In fact, there's a full-blown revival going on. He's baptizing thousands. There's anticipation in the air. You say, why? Well, water was a symbol of purification. If you walk into the temple, there was a labor there where priests would come and wash their hands. It was a sign of kind of washing away the purification of the world. Foot washing was the same thing. That's why we take showers, power wash our homes. You kind of get it, right? The New Testament says we need our mind renewed by the washing of the water of the word of God. We need a cleansing agent. We need to be brainwashed. Why? Because you're brainwashed all week, right? You see thousands of ads and you hear thousands of things that are anti-God. You're being brainwashed by the world. We need our minds washed by scripture. 
When God judged the world, he brought a flood. It cleansed the earth. So John's baptizing people, and they sent a delegation of leaders saying, are you the one, are you the Messiah, are you the Christ, are you Elijah? And he said, no, I'm none of these. Verse 26, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you who you do not know. It is he, Jesus, who comes after me, is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. Verse 32, and John bore witness saying, I saw the spirit descending upon him out of heaven like a dove, and he remained on him. I do not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, upon whom you see the spirit descending and remaining on him, this is the one, get this, who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. If anybody knew their calling, it was John. A powerful man, drawing great crowds. Sign of a great leader is you can walk away from that. And John did. He knew what his calling was. He walked away from it. And he pointed people to Jesus. Um, One of the great tools of evangelism, if you can understand this, is we should always be pointing people to Jesus. Now, I've made this mistake a thousand times. I feel like, man, I've got this new argument in my toolbox. New argument from science or something I'm going to tell people about God's word. And, man, I can't wait to tell someone. And it never works. In fact, that's not how I got saved. Everything I know now, I know post-conversion. I don't know anything about the Bible. I just knew I was hungry for God. John knew, and we need to know, we are limited in what we have to offer to people. First home we bought, we lived next to a wonderful couple. They were young, they didn't have kids, they were doing wonderful, and they knew all about us. We had three kids, and we had people over our house for Bible studies. They knew we were Christians, we'd go to church. And they would never broach the subject with us, only once in a while. And uh, then they had a child, and the wife had postpartum syndrome. And it really wreaked havoc on their life, and you know things were going downhill. One day they invited me over. And they said, we really need help, and we know you're a pastor. And I had to tell them right out, guys, I love you, and I'll do anything for you, but I have nothing to offer. Outside of the power of God and what I know about Scripture, I have nothing to offer you guys. So for the friends you love and the family you love and the people that you're trying to win to Christ, point them to Jesus. Because John knew he was limited. He said, there's one coming who will baptize them with fire. And Jesus kind of declared that when he stood up, and we shared this verse last time, at the end of the great Feast of Tabernacles, if any man thirsts, let him come unto me. And I will give him rivers out of his being, the core of his being, I will give him rivers of living water. It won't be limited. It will be a free-flowing, endless stream. And it'll come right out of his being. There's one thing Jesus knew. He diagnosed it. Man is thirsty. You know, the the death of the church has been greatly exaggerated, right? We live in a postmodern world, post-truth world. Nobody's going to church. There's all these nuns, not Catholic nuns, like N-O-N-E-S, no affiliation, right? And, oh my gosh, the next generation's not going to go to church. Listen, the church will always be here. It has to reinvent itself. Church will always be here. Why? Man is thirsty, If man was satisfied by pleasure and prosperity, 
We wouldn't have the world we have today. We wouldn't have the anxiety we have today, the depression we have today. We wouldn't have the hunger we have today. No, it's being suppressed. If you ever get people alone, they'll open up. But Jesus said here, there would be an endless stream right out of your belly, rivers of living water. Now we sing that song, I'm prone to wander, which we all are. But when I accepted Christ 36 years ago and this Holy Spirit came into me, I haven't looked anywhere else. 36 years. It wasn't like I accepted Jesus, received the Holy Spirit, and said, oh, that was good for the first five years. Uh, Let me get on to something else. Let me look at something in psychology or, you know, I've never looked over the hedge. Never, ever, ever. I've had dry times, dark night of the soul, doubts, a little bit of wandering. But I know this, Jesus is enough. And I think the woman at the well would have the same testimony. I don't think after meeting Jesus, she was looking for something else. I don't think the blind man or Lazarus was looking for something else. If any man thirsts, this power of the Holy Spirit would come and it would fill us to overflowing. Now, John 14 and 16, Jesus comes along, tells us what the work of the Spirit would be. He would come alongside, he would empower, he wouldn't leave us orphans. But then Jesus dies and he rises from the dead. And in Acts chapter 1, he appears for the last time to the disciples. They're all revved up. They're all caffeinated by what's going on, right? Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Is this going to be the kingdom age? And Jesus said, you guys don't know what you're asking. That's in my Father's hands. But, but here's what will happen. Chapter 1, verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, the ends of the earth. Don't worry about the end of the world, Jesus said. There's a lot to do right now. You're going to receive power, and this message is going to go from Israel, and it's going to touch humanity for all of time. Because the Holy Spirit's going to be the driving force. I shared last week that the power of the Holy Spirit it's not so that we go to Holy Ghost meetings and we see miracles and we speak in tongues and all these things. It can be some of that. The power of the Holy Spirit is to conform us into the image of Christ. My pastor used to say, I don't know if it's theologically correct, but I'll go with it. Sometimes it takes more Holy Spirit to do the dishes than to speak in tongues, right? <laughs> to be a spirit-filled husband means to sacrifice and sometimes do the things we don't want to do. So the Holy Spirit comes for sanctification. It also comes for empowerment. This is the heart of God, to reach lost people. There's an axiom I learned years ago. It's worth you learning. People matter to God, therefore they should matter to us. Last time I checked, God so loved the world, he sent his only begotten son. Last time I checked, God sent his son while we were yet sinners. Very important. We tend to categorize people, villainize people. I do it, you do it. I was thinking about the guy that led me to Christ. You know, this guy who had to tell somebody on the basketball team in front of everybody else that Jesus was the way. Man, he didn't judge me. I thought of his boldness. I thought about how much he loved me. I thought how he knew I was thirsty even though I looked like I had it made. 
And I was thinking, wow, what if we approached every situation like that? Looking at people, not for who they are or what they do, but how much they need God in their lives. How much we want to give them what we already have. I firmly believe 90% of our problems would go away if we were involved in leading people to faith. I really do. I think it's a game changer. Now the Bible says some plant, some water, God gives the increase, right? Sometimes your planning is a conversation. It doesn't go any farther than that. Sometimes you meet somebody and they've heard the gospel, now you're watering, and sometimes you get to be the closer, right? That's awesome. Somebody walks across that line of faith, they're a new creation. I think if you bring people to church, they see you and they see church in a new light. It's one of the most powerful things you can do. I have uh, told the story before, but I witnessed, preached, uh, lived out my Christianity for 25 years to my sister and her husband, and they didn't move one-eighth of an inch. And then a month before I'm going to Israel, I get a phone call. My sister says, I want to go to Israel. And I'm like, well, you don't understand. There's a Bible tour. There's church people. We're going to pray and raise our hands. And she goes, yeah, I know. I just thought she was trying to get out of the winter weather here, right? (laughs) So we get there, and I think she's still just on a tour. And I made an announcement on the bus that we're going to do baptisms in the Jordan tomorrow. And you have to let me know because we have to tell the place and all that. And she comes up to me, and she goes, I'm getting baptized tomorrow. I said, oh, wait, 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 you don't understand. This isn't like a photo op, right? This isn't like we're in Israel Let's do something cool like get baptized in the Jordan. She goes, I know, I know, I know. Listen to this. She goes, I'm new to all this. I'm like, what? What? And the rest of that trip was amazing. I got to baptize her, and we took communion in the garden tomb. And I told her, I said, all the things we were raised in, look, that's all left in this water. And the power of the resurrection has given you a brand new life. I go to her house in Connecticut now. She's got praise music on the TV, and she's on Facebook with people in our church, comes to our women's retreats. It's only the Holy Spirit, the power of God. Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses, my martyros. That's where we get the word martyrs. There's going to be a boldness. There's going to be a laying down of your life, an empowerment to reach other people. Now, the day Jesus promised came in Acts chapter 2. You're so familiar with it you probably don't get much out of it anymore. In chapter 2, verse 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all in one accord in one place, and there came a sound from heaven as a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues. Now, it says, as of fire. There's a picture here. It's famous, right? The little fire on each guy's head, right? Which I like because somewhere I saw that in school and when I read it here, it meant a lot to me, right? But it said it was as of fire, right? So fire is a description of the presence of God in the Old Testament. The burning bush, our gods are consuming fire, Mount Sinai, there was fire and thunder and lightnings and all that. Whatever was going on in this upper room, John and, and, and now Luke is telling us, This is the Holy Spirit. And it says in verse 4, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. 
This was the birth of the church. This was the unstoppable force that was unleashed in the power of believers to take the gospel in all the world, to blast down the gates of head, to make beachheads in every city and nation in the world. Now, there's something you probably have never seen before here. There's 120 people in the upper room, and guess what they're doing? Look at your Bible again. They're sitting. How many meetings have you been to where the Holy Ghost is supposedly active and everybody's jumping around, everybody's screaming, everybody's standing? The most powerful thing that ever happened the day of Pentecost, they were sitting. They're sitting there. So I got this little box. You know where this is going, right? We have this tendency to put God in a box, right? Theologically, we want him boxed in, right? Like free will or predestination, like God, I gotta know which one it is. I, I gotta, this box has to be closed, right? One of the things we do with the Holy Spirit is we put him in a box. Charismatics do it. Evangelicals do it. Charismatics say, no, this is the only way God works. Evangelicals say, no, this is the only way God works. They were sitting. And they got filled with the Spirit. And they spoke in other tongues. Now, tongues is for next week, so you've got to come back. Um, we'll talk about tongues and miracles and the gifts of the Spirit. But I've got to say three things about tongues in case you don't come back. And because you're going to think about it the rest of the service. This won't be exhaustive. It'll be very short. Number one, every believer must believe that this phenomenon in speaking of tongues happened here and at least happened through the first century of the church. You must believe that. See, it's like the rapture. You have to believe in the rapture. It's just the disagreements on timing. So there's a group of people called cessationists. They believe that the gifts of the Spirit ended with either the last apostle, who was John, or when we received the Bible. And they use 1 Corinthians 14. There are continuationists who believe that this activity has come all the way down to our day. Whatever you believe, you must believe this happened and continue to happen because that's why Paul wrote the Corinthian letter. Second thing you must believe or understand is that these people were baptized in the Holy Spirit. They were already believers. How do I know? They saw the risen Christ. They already confessed Jesus as Lord. Uh, earlier, Jesus breathed on them and they received the Spirit. This is subsequent. This is a, another filling, whatever it is. Now, there's denominations who teach that this is called the second filling or that the evidence of being baptized in the Spirit is speaking in tongues. And I want to renounce that very quickly, okay? Uh, some churches in their doctrine that the only way you've been baptized in the Spirit is if you speak in tongues. Uh, that's created a lot of confusion and made people feel like second-class citizens who don't. I was on a mission trip one time, and with 25 people was just sharing my experience. I got saved on a Saturday night. I walked the aisle on Sunday just to make it official. Someone took me over here in the corner, showed me some scriptures and acts that I'm showing you. And there was a rumbling in my spirit, and I spoke in tongues. Profound experience. But is that the evidence? 
No, there's nowhere in Scripture it says that's the evidence. Romans makes it clear. If you believe in your heart, Jesus the Christ, confess with your mouth, you will be saved. The work of salvation, regeneration, is the work of the Holy Spirit. At that point, you are baptized into the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12. There's one spirit, one baptism, one body, whether Jew or Gentile, slave or free. Now, John Piper, who's as reformed and evangelical as you can get. I've been to his conferences. All the guys wear sweaters and loafers, and they're all bookworms. Okay? Love them, but hey, that's what they are. And John Piper's so gracious. He takes it a step farther. He said, it would be a mistake to even limit the baptism of the Holy Spirit to a single second event. So he's saying the baptism of the Holy Spirit is, is after conversion, but even to say that second event would be misleading, and of course to say uh, tongues were necessary would be misleading. You'd have to be very ignorant of church history to believe Billy Graham, Thomas Aquinas, Martin Luther, John Calvin, C.S. Lewis, Charles Spurgeon were not filled with the Spirit because they didn't speak in tongues. But that doesn't mean tongues can't be a part of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The third thing I want to share is that the tongues at Pentecost was unique to that experience. In other words, the question is, was that normative? Now, I think a prayer language in tongues is normative, a personal prayer language in this sense. Jesus said in Mark, these signs shall follow them to believe. They'll speak in other tongues. We see tongues all the way through Acts, and then it's taught in, in the epistles. I think that makes it doctrine. But the tongues of Pentecost was unique in that they heard each other in languages. You know, when I, when I pray in tongues, I don't, I don't think I'm speaking French or German or Arabic. It can be, but I don't think that's what's happening. What was God doing on this day as the church was being birthed? I think he was reversing Babel. Remember God confused language? Now he was bringing it back. I think the second thing was in a microcosm, God was showing these 120 people what they could do in his power. What was the commission? Go into all the world, right? Now, that was a daunting task. They had no money, no resources. How are they going to do that? Little tribe of people who were outcast in Israel. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. God showed them in one instance what he could do. It tells us in Acts chapter 2 that every nation under heaven was almost represented. They had come for the feast and heard in the language. God said, look, in one day we've almost reached everybody. This is what I can do by the power of the Spirit. Okay, enough of tongues. We'll talk about it next week. Acts chapter 8, sometime later, there's a very interesting situation in verse 14. When the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who, when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had fallen upon none of them. Now get this. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So if they had been baptized, they had believed. Okay? 
So they believed they were water baptized, but the Holy Spirit hadn't fallen upon them. Verse 17, they, Peter and John, laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Well, how do we know? How do we know they received the Holy Spirit? You know, can I come up to you today and say, pray for you and said, and everybody around would say, gosh, they received the Holy Spirit. That was, that was amazing. Um, look at the next verse. When Simon saw that through the laying on the apostles' hands the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money, saying, give me this power also that anyone I lay my hands on might receive the Holy Spirit. Anybody beside me think Simon saw something happen? Yeah, I think they spoke in other tongues. doesn't say they did. I think they did. Because why else would he want that power? He had to see something. Uh, if that's not clear, turn to Acts chapter 10. Peter is in a town called Joppa. It's our first stop in Israel. We get ice cream there. It's by the sea. It's beautiful. Peter's there. And he has this encounter with God. This is 12 years after Pentecost. And Peter loves the Lord, but like all of us, he's holding on to tradition. He's still eating kosher. That's a hard thing to break, by the way. And he has this profound experience with God where she comes down and there's all these unclean animals, praise God. And uh, God says, Peter, rise, kill and eat. That's why we can serve you know, hot dogs and ham at church picnics and all in our cafe now. And, uh, but what Peter doesn't know is there's this man, Cornelius. He's a Roman soldier in Caesarea. And he's what they call um, a God-fearer. He's a Gentile who's looking at the things of the Jews. And, and, and he's abiding by it. He loves their law. He gives alms. It says he prays. And one day it says, an angel comes and says, Cornelius... Your prayers have been heard. And uh, there's one coming, Peter. And Peter comes and he begins to minister to Cornelius. In Acts chapter 10, verse 44, it says, When Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. And those who were circumcised, who believed, were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Peter answered, can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? For you box makers, we've got something strange here. The normal progression seems to be, I accept Christ, I get baptized in water, I get baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now we got it the other way around. They receive Christ. They receive the baptism of the Spirit, speak in tongues. Then they get water baptized. And what we're seeing in Acts is that there's no way to box in the Spirit. He's like the wind. He comes. He goes. And so is everyone born in the Spirit. In all these instances, there was a manifestation of speaking in tongues. Again, that can be the experience. It doesn't have to be the experience. And then finally, the last one we'll show you is Acts 19. 
It happened while Paulus was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus. And finding some disciples, he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? It's kind of like a yes or no question. And they said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. He said to them, then what were you baptized in? And they said, into John's baptism. Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people they should believe in him who would come after him on Christ. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And Paul laid hands on them, and they spoke in other tongues. Anybody kind of getting a little convinced that there's a subsequent experience going on here? That tongues can, doesn't have to be the evidence. Now again, cessationists will say, yeah, this went on in the early church and died out with the apostles in the Bible. We'll talk about that next week. Whatever the baptism of the Holy Spirit is, and again, I can't put it in a box. Whatever it is, I know it's a subsequent work. Everybody that's a born-again believer is baptized in the Spirit. I get that. But I'm going to believe there is another work. I don't want to call it a deeper work. I'll call it maybe another filling. Here's where I've landed in 36 years. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, whatever it is, is the birthright of every believer. It's yours. It's mine. It's out there, guys. It really is. Philippians chapter 2 says that we should work out our salvation. Uh, almost every translation says with fear and trembling. Now, it doesn't say work to be saved. It says work it out. You already have it. Now work it out. Like, go to the gym. Work it out, right? Get your body in shape. Get your spirit in shape is the idea. I love this translation. Work out your salvation with awe and wonder. Isn't that what happened in Acts chapter 2? When they met in the upper room and house to house, it said they looked around and they were in awe at what God was doing. That's the Christianity I know. That's the Christianity I was saved into. I was saved into a Christianity where you look around and you're in awe that God is doing. Now, it doesn't mean there's not mundane days doesn't mean there's not dry periods. But God's doing great things in the earth. Spirit's moving, guys. Jesus said that he wasn't like, our father wasn't like an earthly dad. You know, if we ask for bread, he's not going to give us a stone. He goes through that whole thing. He goes, how much more will he give you the Holy Spirit? Listen, to those who ask. To those who ask. I've been saying for three weeks, you don't have to ask God for a Cadillac. Drive up the street. They'll give you one. It's not what you need. What you need can't be bought. Simon tried to buy it. You need the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, if you seek and knock and ask, the door will be open. Yeah, well, I asked on my lunch hour the other day. Nothing happened. Um, I came up with this analogy. I think it's pretty good. I didn't steal it from anybody. Um, when I was on safari in Kenya, I thought it was going to be like a petting zoo. You know, 
get in this Land Rover, drive out, be animals all over. You know, you drive for 20 minutes, you don't see an animal. You don't see anything but trees and the Serengeti. It's beautiful. And it takes quite a while, and then you see like a zebra. And then, if you're lucky, cats and, you know, elephants and what they call the big five. But it's hard to find them, right? Now, here's what happens by day three. You're driving down. Oh, there's a zebra. Yeah, great. Yeah. Oh, there's an elephant. Yeah, great. You know, I need the lion to roar. I need him to jump over a bush. I need to see a kill, right? See, that's the problem with the Holy Spirit. You need more and more. It has to keep getting amped up. That's why leaders have to start amping it up because they got to move you more, right? The Holy Spirit, for some reason, God wants to be sought. And I believe if you ask, he'll fill you again, whatever it is. Someone texted me last week. I remember the day I received the Holy Spirit, the day I was baptized. They said it was a time where it happened in our old church where I didn't even ask for it. It just fell on me. And for the first time, I was able to lift my hands and worship God freely. Well, that's the baptism of the Holy Spirit, just a a release, right? There's a book here called They Found the Secret. I hate that word, the secret, because it's not a secret, right? But in this book, there's small little chapters by Hudson Taylor, Amy Carmichael, Oswald Chambers, Moody, and... Walter Wilson and Ian Thomas and so many of the great saints of history who share stories of this profound work after conversion. And it's not only these saints and it's not only contemporary people, but it's all through history. Tertullian was a theologian in North Africa in the third century who taught that the Holy Spirit received at conversion that there was also a work after conversion through the laying on of hands in prayer. Savernola in the 15th century in Italy was a monk who was a reformer in the church. It said he was filled with this new unction and power uh, post-conversion. His preaching and now with a voice of thunder and denunciation of sin was so terrific that people who listened to him sometimes were in the streets half-dazed. The Puritans taught a distinct work that happens after conversion. Thomas Goodwin on Ephesians 1.13 said the work of faith is a distinct thing, a different thing from that of insurance. Wesley said he received a second blessing when he was warmed, felt this presence of the Holy Spirit. R.A. Torrey, Andrew Murray have written about this. Dwight Moody had preached for years and was challenged by believers to move in the power of the Spirit. People told him he was praying for them Moody cried out in hunger for God, said that for the first time he was filled with the Spirit of God. His preaching never changed. His preparation never changed. The crowds got bigger. Um, There were more conversions. He said, I would never go back to an experience before I was filled and baptized with the Holy Spirit. Martin Lloyd-Jones says you can be a renegade child of God, a true believer, and never have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. 
Many of the people I just mentioned you were evangelical. They weren't from the, what we call the charismatic side of the church. Now, what do we do? <laughs> what do we do? Well, I know what's been done. I was at a Russian pastor's conference where we were talking about this, and we told everybody to come forward to get filled with the Spirit, and I start to see kind of the ugliness of my past where guys got in my line, and when I prayed for them and nothing happened, they jumped into the other pastor's line, and then it's kind of down the line. So we're not going to do any of that. Remember it said the disciples were sitting and they got filled? Remember I told you my experience where a guy took me over and I got filled? Well, somebody took my wife over and nothing happened. And three months later in her bedroom, crying out to God, she got filled and baptized in the Spirit. I think we need to pray a prayer. Oh God, I need a fresh filling an outpouring of your Holy Spirit, and I desire all that you have for me. If that's your desire, in a very honest sense, I believe God will baptize you in the Spirit. I really do. Now, if your desire is to be like Simon and like have some cool thing happen, I don't think anything's going to happen. I think some of us are heads in the way. I think some of us had read too many books where this box has been closed. I think the only approach is to become childlike and unboxed and just cry out to God, would you fill me with your spirit? We have a prayer room back there. Those people would love to pray for you for the baptism of the spirit. When we sing our final song, we can raise our hands and ask God to fill us with the Spirit. We can do it all week long. I want to be filled with the Spirit. Many fillings. One salvation, many fillings. I know this. It's been the greatest experience of my life. And in desperate times, alone, with God, I just cry out in the Spirit. And it's linked me to the early church. What happened to them happened to me. And in many ways, it really is cool. Have you been baptized with the Holy Spirit?